The holiday season means tradition. We revisit the same songs and films every year to tell ourselves that the holidays are here. And sometimes, that leaves some incredible films to be overlooked. My goal today is to highlight three films that you can add to your holiday film rotation. First up is Tree Man. Tree Man is a documentary that I've heard very few people talk about in my life, but I will sing its praises here and wherever I can every single year. Released in 2015 by filmmaker John Reiner, this film is a look at the New York City Christmas tree vendors. They hail from all over the continent, descending on the city to sell their wares and bring a little nature for the holiday season to the concrete jungle. The film focuses on Francois, a tree man, a husband, and a father of three from Quebec, Canada, as he returns to Manhattan to deliver a quintessential New York experience. From the people who work for him to the folks nearby who let him use their showers as he lives in a van during the Christmas season every year, to the restaurant owners and customers he's befriended, and the kids he's watched grow up, Francois has undeniably had an effect on people's Christmas traditions in New York, and it's a beautiful thing to see. I love this film for its intimacy, the access and vulnerability that Francois allows the filmmakers. This is a must watch in my house every single season. I think that there are a lot of things in New York City that are strange and foreign to me, and getting a tree on a sidewalk is definitely one of those things. I just go to sleep one night, and the next morning, I hear the sound of a hammer against wood. It means it's time to sell the trees. It's hard to leave my family to know that you will not be part of this pre-Christmas period. When you're going for any journey, you ask yourself if it's the last time you see that whole thing. Hey, man. What's up? <laughs> There's definitely a magic to being here. I don't get to be so special at home. This is a place where you can create your character and you're performing on your own little stage out here. They just see you as somebody magical and associated with the season and you get to sort of show your best self in a lot of ways because it really tests you physically, it tests you mentally, and it tests you emotionally. Papa. Hi, Rick. When it comes down to the business and him coming down to New York, I'm his family for a month. So is Nelson, so is Angel. This is my family. I mean, uh, they're part of my life for a long time. When Jason, Nelson, and Angel will not be with me anymore there, I think that's going to be it. We're always here every year to provide people with a sense of warmth and Christmas spirit to know that we're all going to be taken apart, just like the stand. It hurts, but it's also a part of the, it's a part of the job. And, uh, if you didn't take it apart, it wouldn't be special anymore. Next, a film that is made by one of my favorite filmmakers, All That Heaven Allows. Released on Christmas Day in 1955, All That Heaven Allows by German immigrant and master of melodrama Douglas Sirk is a sweepingly beautiful, intimate film that pops with so much technicolor you can't help but gasp at the opening shots of autumn leaves in a New England suburb to the last shots of a wintry wonderland. Carrie Scott, played by the incredible Jane Wyman, is an affluent widow living with her college-aged daughter 
and whose social life revolves around her country club friends and a son that visits from college sporadically. When Ron, played by a young and ruggedly handsome Rock Hudson, is filling in for his late father, taking care of the trees on Carrie's property, the two strike up a relationship that crosses class divides and angers Carrie's snobby friends and spoiled children. The film is lush, intimate, beautiful, infuriating, and the best of what something called melodrama could be. In my opinion, Douglas Sirk's filmography should be considered among the best of 1940s and 50s cinematic masterpieces with Selznick and Capra. Not only because of his masterful use of camera movement, lighting, and color, but because of his ability to take a genre that didn't age well post the American New Wave of the 1970s and the blockbusters of today, but because it transcends melodrama and tells a story that is piercingly intimate and overlaid with a wave of melancholy that lesser filmmakers can only dream of. The use of winter and Christmas imagery also adds to the nostalgic feeling of the film, and it heightens the pain and loneliness that Carrie goes through as her kids and friends judge her relationship as they live out their full lives while Carrie is meant to be sitting at home watching television. All That Heaven Allows is a must-watch for me every Christmas season, and if you haven't seen it, I hope you give it a chance. running away if I turn my back on everything I've known. Ron, isn't it enough that we love each other? No, Carrie. It isn't. Somebody in this family's got to think straight. And you don't think I can? I think all you see is a good-looking set of muscles. Why, Ned? All right, maybe I'm a snob. But it isn't just a question of whether he's a gardener. They'll say he's younger than you are. And the fact that you're a widow. What has that got to do with it? With money. Their lives were worlds apart. Carrie's world was bound by the country club set their smug pretensions and their spiteful gossip. Never too late, huh, Gary? Line forms to the right. Howard, why, Gary? I'm married up for you. Maybe you'd better stay right where you are. Ron's world was boundless. The great outdoors, the things that grow, and real people who give and take all that heaven allows of love and happiness. Carrie, let's face it. You were ready for a love affair, but not for love. God knows I love you. But I won't let Ned, nor Kane, or anyone else run our lives, Carrie. Don't you see we'd never be happy if we did? I can see that you don't want to listen to anybody's ideas but your own. And I can see that you're trying to make me choose between you and the children. Last but not least, is Lovely Still. Instead of me pontificating about my love for this beautiful and heartbreaking locally made film, I have an interview with the director, Nick Fackler. Man, I, when I revisited it, I just fell in love with it, and it reminded me a lot of the type of 
films that use Christmas imagery that I love so much, like Douglas Sirk, you know, even like It's a Wonderful Life and things like that. The really good Christmas movies. I was just kind of curious what your inspiration was for for using that imagery in this story. Cinematic inspiration, there was a lot, you know, it was, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, but also things like Christmas Story and weirdly Home Alone. You wouldn't think it, but I kind of, after I finished Lovely Still, I went back and we got finished with the post and I went back and I'm like, oh my God, this is like totally Home Alone. It's like Home Alone, but it's an older man who's Home Alone, but it it uses- (laughs) It's so true. the, The main thing is just the use of Christmas music, you know, like using Christmas music as like a, you know, during montages and and these sort of Christmas songs that we all know. That was like Home Alone for me was a really important film growing up. I used to watch it over and over and over again. So I kind of feel like subconsciously I was sort of remaking Home Alone. Um, And the funny thing is, once Lovely Still came out, Christopher Columbus, the director of Home Alone, reached out to me and complimented the film. And so I'm like, all right. So it, it it reached on that level <laughs> subconsciously. That's amazing. Um, yeah, that guy's made a career of Christmas films. I know. Well, it's a good idea because this, that's what I learned with Christmas also is it creates a longevity for your film, which I wasn't expecting. I was didn't really think about, but now, you know, all these years later, it's like every Christmas, Lovely still pops up somewhere and it it's playing or it's up on Amazon's lists of Christmas films to watch or something like that. So there's a, a valuable lesson as a filmmaker to be like, oh, if you make a holiday film, people will watch it every holiday. Well, when you mentioned Home Alone, I couldn't help but think of this scene when he is about to go on his first date with Ellen Burstein and he's in the mirror, you know, like practicing, yeah. like talking to her. Totally. And, or and, his like morning routine, but he's yeah. like brushing his teeth. And it's like, has very, uh, yeah. It really is a Home Alone movie, but it's it's just the uh, the skeleton of it, not the like meat and bones or anything like that. Um, well, I think, think I think that's important too because I I don't think that I think as like fans of cinema or you know people that are cinephiles or whatnot shouldn't discount the films that they grew up with and that have that like tint of nostalgia because. I revisit Home Alone every year, and I love that movie, and I will never be ashamed of that. <laughs> I know and, it's and, a great film, and weird, and kind of like you—it's a genre that can't be replaced. A sort of like hyper-violent slapstick comedy Christmas film. It's just so we just we just had like a double feature where we watched both of them in a row. <laughs> um, but the other, but nostalgia is a great you know, the, the whole film came from nostalgia, you know, like it was, uh, wrote it in the time of my life of feeling nostalgic. I think you go through waves of nostalgia every probably 10 years or so. You have that big nostalgia year where you just like, wow, what did I, did I, I'm kind of going through one now, like thinking back, you know, going in my early twenties or something, you know, like, Oh, you know, you, you missed those times and you talk about them often. Um, but when I was started writing Lovely Still, I was like, got just got out of high school and I was like 17 or 18 and was being, and I was very nostalgic, nostalgic for my childhood, like really missed being a kid and missed 
Christmas, you know, like, like, and when I thought about Christmas and when I listened to Christmas music, it made me very emotional and, and nostalgic. And so I wanted to capture that feeling and put it into a project because I knew it was like, I was really raw. And so, so that was the thing. So like every night I would sit in front of the fireplace and I even put up a little Christmas tree and I listened to Christmas music and I would write and I would just like suck that nostalgia feeling and that rawness and and that's where this script came from amazing yeah i think that that really shows in the film i rewatched it this morning actually and so it's fresh there that i just couldn't help but think the whole time i was watching it just how i almost like i could feel how much he misses these people that have always been around him and not to give anything away but there are reasons for that but at the same time i think we all experience that on some level you know we could we could be in a moment and feeling nostalgic for (laughs) the exact moment that we're in already (laughs) it's like it's like the human condition and and it's like and this is just like kind of an extreme version of that for me personally like those songs like those christmas songs like have yourself a merry little christmas or the, the songs that are in the film like sort of triggered an emotion in me and I think they trigger an emotion in audiences. Depend, even if you had a horrible experiences with Christmas, it's like those songs are always played every Christmas. So they bring some kind of emotion out of you. And I think that's kind of a tool in the film, you know, like using using that imagery and using that those feelings and that sort of iconography of snow globes and these things. And they make people feel things, good or bad, but that's, whatever it's like it's that's kind of the for me what movie going to a movie is about is feeling lots of stuff so this was like christmas is like great fodder for extreme emotions (laughs) (laughs) um i'm curious i want to talk a little bit about the the inspiration for specifically the cinematography because when the film opens it just has such a it has a look that i can't that first sequence has a look and the only thing that could really come to my mind was like Amelie, but it also feels older than that. It feels mm-hmm. like it feels like from a different time, the way the camera moves, it starts out on the street, it moves into the house, and then it moves mm-hmm. through the house and then Also also Home Alone reference, the Christmas lights turning on one at a time. Oh, that's <laughs> true. <Christmas>. That's true. <laughs> yes. Which um but yeah, I'd love I'd love to talk about that look. I mean, one big thing is shot on thirty five millimeter. You yeah. know, like I so lucky that I was able to shoot on thirty five before the age of digital, which has uh, arrived fully. Um, yeah, I was just yeah. watching Mank earlier, <laughs> the new mm-hmm. David Fincher film, and it's very digital. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I mean, it, you have to accept digital is is what's happening now, and it's if you want to look like a two thousand twenty film, you have to go that direction. But unless you got that I, Christopher Nolan money. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so that opening shot, um, I mean, that was all single shot, it was like, that was a big idea. I was really into that at the time. It's like using using a single shot as a way to bring an audience into the film, you know, like, uh, you know, like any of those great single shots, like in the player rope or, you know, or, or any of the, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson was a 
of course, a big inspiration for me in the late 90s as a young filmmaker, Magnolia. Um, but the, yeah, but, but what a single shot does is it, it, it makes you, the, the longer it goes, the more you feel like you're there, is at least my uh, belief as a, as a filmmaker. Yeah, so it kind of like has I like an altman the an Altman yeah. kind of vibe to it. Yeah, and there's a lot of Altmans in associated yeah. with the film. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stephen? Well, Dana produced it, Altman's grandson, and then Stephen Altman, uh, Robert Altman's son, was the production design. So, nice. and he did production design on all of Altman's films. So it definitely probably does have an Altman feel because of that. It was mostly like the just whenever you mentioned the kind of Paul Thomas Anderson. Like I can't think of Paul Thomas Anderson without thinking of Robert Altman as well because. I yeah. think Paul Thomas Anderson was very inspired by a lot of the way that he moves cameras through a scene. Yep. Yeah. And so was I, you know, it's like, look up to those guys. You know, so that was really fun too. Being, not to digress too much, but like being on set with Stephen Altman and being like, what would your dad do right now? <laughs> you know, and <laughs> you know, like these situations, especially these situations where we're like, taking forever to light we're taking forever to light and it's like we're running out of time and oh we're way over schedule blah, blah, blah. and then i'm just like would turn to steve uh steven and be like steven what would your dad do right now and he's like he just let him light he'd stall and just stall the producers let him light make it look as good as possible with any time you have um i think that comes yeah, across but- in the film for sure like the lighting in the film also it does some very specific things that are really affecting. I think we were, we, I wanted the film to feel cinematic. I didn't want it to feel at the, at the time, the popular style of cinema was, was very sort of like doc feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, or it was very sort of like natural. Like that was what was, you know, an indie film. That was what was going on a lot at the time. And I was like, didn't want to do that. I wanted it to feel like each frame was a painting. And I want, you know, I wanted that approach to cinema where it was very like Amelie is totally loved Amelie, you know, but I wanted it to be one of those films where you could pause it and it would be like, Oh, this is a beautiful shot, you know, and, and, and have the cinematography. Um, you know, I, I think, I believe that cinematography creates emotion too. You know, I think it's just, go, it's just going for emotion overload. And so I'm like, I want the cinematography to be the kind of cinematography that makes you feel something. It's like, you're going to sit with Ellen Burstyn sitting in a windowsill, silhouetted, and we're going to do a slow push in on her as a Christmas song plays. And she's staring out the window and it's like, you're going to feel something. It's going to be a mood, you know? That was a 2020 reference. Like we didn't say that back then, but now I know that that's, that's how you describe it now. It's like a deep mood that you are feeling to tell this like story of like loneliness over the holidays. One of the things that was really interesting for me is I'm still fairly new to Omaha and I saw this film before living here. And since this is a Omaha specific show, you know, it, it's, it would be really interesting to talk about, the character that Omaha plays. Cause I think that the neighborhood you shot in the way the houses look, uh, just the locations that you shot at are very, now that I live here, I was starting to recognize those things and recognizing how uniquely Omaha they are. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that was a pitch trying to get the film made is like, 
we're going to shoot it in Omaha and Omaha itself is kind of a character and, you know, like the producers, the, the outside producers, Lars, Lars Knutson, like flew into Omaha so I could show them around. And then when, when Martin and Ellen finally came here, like they, I drove them places. I'm like, let me show you my town. And, and they actually were very cool about show us your world, Nick, you know, like show us, you know, sh show us this like Omaha that you come from. And, and so that was, you know, in pre-production showing them, you know, taking them to the old market and taking them to Gene Leahy mall, rest in peace. And, and showing them all these sort of like very uniquely om unique Omaha places that, you know, at that time too, I was like, you know, a very proud Omaha and, you know, and I was really wanted to like, I didn't want to, I didn't want Omaha to feel like, I wanted to feel like a small, cozy town but i didn't want to really want it to feel like a city i wanted it to feel like that town from you know christmas story i wanted it to feel like a, like a 1940s kind of like cozy norman rockwell kind of town <laughs> and it's like you know that's also like a funny story too is like it didn't snow it didn't snow it's like the last week of production for lovely still and it was such a big that was like a big fight that we had that I had with the producers. I'm like, it needs to be snowing. It has to have snow. And they're like, well, it's not going to snow. And I'm like, well, then how do we make snow? And that was, uh, you know, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Cause I, I'm watching it this morning. We're like four days, you know, we're like two or three days out for Christmas and you know, it's like 50 degrees and pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. And it was like that. We got lucky that it snowed like the last week of production. So we, did all the interior we kind of were planning for it so we did all the interiors first every single interior shot shot in. and then if we would have like a night of snow you know we'd like readjust the schedule to go shoot you know and there's this really big moment where it finally snowed and it was like we had the production had to say okay do we go shoot out in the snow but if we do that we're locking into snow like we can't if it if the snow melts it's not there's the continuity is going to be gone you know but for me, I was like, no, there needs to be snow. There needs to be sledding. There needs to be all these like things. And so I basically pushed the production forward. Like there was actually a moment when they were gonna like come out with hot water and try to melt the snow in the front lawn. Cause like, we're just like this is gonna be a no snow film. And I was fought them so hard that night. I'm like, we need to have faith. There's gonna be snow. And, and, <laughs> and luckily there was, and there's definitely like tricks in it too, you know, like when there isn't snow, there's like white sheets on the you know white sheets out the window and you know and like we'd bring in we brought in snow machine which is basically like bubbles like you like cover the ground in bubbles you know so there's like a lot of like tricks like that that we ended up having to do and then for like the sledding scene it was like we had like a three-day window where there was snow and sledding and and went to memorial park and shot shot there i'm curious to hear a little bit about you know working with that cast you know like elizabeth banks has gone on to be like a big time director and doing mm -hmm. charlie's angels movies of course adam scott is pretty ubiquitous and then you got to work with yeah. the late martin landau and and ellen Burstein, mm -hmm. who, and both of them are legends yeah i mean that was for all of us i mean me and uh adam adam and elizabeth we were all there to we were all excited to work with Martin and Ellen. We were there to work with the, the legends. And I feel like uh, Adam and Elizabeth were there 
you know, they like the script and everything, and we're and we're and we're happy to be in a small independent film in Omaha, Nebraska, in the middle of winter. But they were really there because they wanted to work with Martin and Ellen, and and it was awesome. You know, I, they did not disappoint. You know, working with Martin and Ellen was like that was my film school. You know, I, I got to go to film school, even though I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> so working with Adam Scott, you know, you got to kind of pull out. You know, he kind of has these two characters, whether he's like a jerk and then or he's like a really sweet guy. And you kind of got to play with both of those in this film. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that made him kind of a dynamic character. I mean, it makes him funny, you know, right yeah, off the bat. Absolutely. Comical. But then as the film unravels, you I feel like it made his character deeper, you know, because you start realizing, you know, what, what the attempt was on the surface. He's this sort of like rude kind of crass guy but then you kind of see that like what he's going through is like is like deep and hard and heavy and what he really just wants is love and love from this man uh played by martin landau and and respect and he's and you so i feel like it's it's a it's a film to watch twice you know it's a film that if you watch it one time you're watching one film and you watch it a second time and we and we very much tried to make you know every scene we would approach that way we'd, we'd i'd sit down with the cast and say okay here's how here's what people are going to be viewing it the first time they're watching it but we can't hide the fact of the truth of what's really going on with these characters and and that's the most important thing is that these all these characters know this certain thing that the audience doesn't know and they have to play it that way you know and then it's really I preferred them to play it honestly rather than try to hide it from the audience. Then, and then, you know, let the sort of Christmas movie element be the thing that hides the like real thing that's going on in the film. It's like the, the Christmasness is also a, a way to like mask a sort of like deeper story that's happening underneath it all. Just for Ellen Burstyn's performance. Oh my God. She's, is spectacular and watching it for knowing the sort of like what's really going on with her character watching it the second time it's like it's it's just amazing she's just really knocks out of the park she's incredible and the smiles you caught from both of them were Mm. just so good (laughs) so good Um, i think that had a lot of a lot of that had to do with um how much fun we were having on set you know we we were having a really fun time together it was very uh speaking about nostalgia and and youth i feel like the set had that energy and that's what we were trying to bring out of I mean, there's a film about an old older man in his 70s um late 70s who's lonely and sad and it could be very depressing but then you see this sort of like inner child come out of him and i think that's what we were trying to embrace on set too it's like let's let's have the a youthful exciting energy where we're all gooping around and all having fun and we're gonna go sledding down a hill and we're gonna just goof off you know and it was a very like light-hearted set and i think that helped with the sort of you know the the sort of intimacy and sweetness that comes through in the in the characters what is a holiday film that maybe you watch every year that you feel maybe overlooked that people should add to their rotation or at least give it a chance 
don't know. I really like Scrooged. I'm hoping to watch that tonight if if we can get to it. Have you seen Scrooged lately? It's it's one of my favorites. I watch it every year. I think that gets overlooked a lot because it's so dark, you yeah. know. But it's but it's comical. I feel like that is a interesting Christmas film because it can make you cry at the end. It has the like heartwarming moment at the end where I do like get tears in my eyes and I'm watching it. But it's, yeah, you know. But it's that era of cinema that was sort of like that Tim Burton, which is also a big inspiration of Always Still. For anyone who hasn't seen it, basically Scrooged is a retelling of a Christmas Carol with Bill Murray and it is amazing. And it's definitely, it is dark, but it's also does have those really beautiful moments and that kind of main love story throughout is I think really affecting. I think it's really good. I I kind of Bill Murray in his prime. I don't know. It's like, it's like a prime Bill Murray in his prime in a film that like kind of gets overlooked, you know, it's like, it's like, so not only gets overlooked as a Christmas film movie, I think it gets overlooked as a Bill Murray movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and talking about your film and talking about Christmas films and Christmas in general. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, where can people find your work? Oh man. Uh, well, well, first, uh, thank you so much for having me. And it's always nice to be able to talk about Lovely Still. It was such a honor to be able to make it and it's still just really fun to talk about i always love talking about it um you know you can find lovely still on any of the major platforms for rent you know on apple or on amazon and maybe streaming on amazon i'm not sure and then uh to see I, more of my i streamed work. it on amazon prime this morning so not oh, that i want to promote amazon but i do want to promote no. your film <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's uh you can't help it <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think that's the only, like, it's on Prime, so you can watch it on Prime. And then, um, any of my other work, you know, it's like, uh, nick-fackler.com has all my work on it, and you can check it out there. I was just wondering, um, I don't know, this may sound crazy, but, uh, um, could we have dinner? tomorrow uh, I can't look at this as a date I can't no but there is a lot of planning that goes into these things a lot of strategies uh, it's like you're a soldier a soldier a soldier yes a soldier of love oh <laughs> well when I was a little girl my favorite book to read was Grimm's fairy tales oh I wanted life to be like that you know find true love and live happily ever after Everything changes. It feels like you've been here my whole life. (laughs) Think about the past. Past is just something we can't do anything about. I just worry most. Nothing to worry about. How can you say that? This is a bad idea. Yeah. Hey, 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 what is this? Because I, I didn't want to be alone anymore, and I, and I met you. Then love the last time.
For KIOS, I'm Joshua LeBure. Happy holidays.